your primary goals in training should be not to break yourself, right? That should always be there. Um, and that needs to supersede the other goal, which might be, I need to beat everybody, or I need to win all the time, or I need to be the best person on this mat. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Sistema, and this is Sistema for Life. How are you, Tyler Morantia? Good to see you. Yeah, you too, yeah. Been a wee while, right? Been a few weeks you've been knee-deep and harvesting everything in your lustrous garden. Yeah, we're, this is the first year we're, uh, we we got summer squash. Summer squash? Yeah, yeah that's good stuff. It right. is, yeah. I hope yeah. to take some home. Oh, totally, yeah. I brought the backpack. It's empty. I'm on the motorcycle. I've got an empty backpack just because I knew you had some veggies. So, so. Oh, yeah. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Nice. So uh, what have you been up to, aside from uh, lots of harvesting and things? You've been up to lots of things with uh, Wellstart Health? You? Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we took on a... Um uh, a, an insurance company in California mm. that is now, um, you know, showing us to all of their uh, paying clients. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, it's very rare that insurance companies actually, health insurance companies actually understand that you can do better by helping people be healthy rather than paying for their sickness. But so it's easier to prevent than to uh, fix later on, and, and cheaper. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. Right. So, I mean, you know, it shrinks the overall industry of yeah. healthcare, which mm -hmm. no, nobody wants to shrink an industry, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. but, but certain players come along and can be disruptive. And then we found an insurance company that's like, oh, if we can help people get off their diabetes meds and lose weight, yeah. then we have to pay less for their care. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're integrating with them. So that's kind of been our summer. That's interesting. That, that ties in, uh, not to go on a tangent before we've even started here, but um, I was reading a, a great book about um, technology addiction in you know, connection with my ongoing research into tech proofing and all that kind of stuff uh, called Irresistible. I don't know if you ever read that oh, one. No, but I it's about, about how um, internet-enabled technologies are designed to be kind of irresistible and difficult to put down, and it kind of gives you the the elements or the structure of how to build like an addictive experience, so you know what's being done to you mm. by Google and Facebook and Amazon and all those things. So it's very very interesting. Um, but in this in the final section on solutions, um, it talks about that um, one of the most important things that you can do is try and nip it in the bud, right? Because um, it's in, in other words, don't give your children iPads, don't give your children too much screen time, don't give them iPhones or all that kind of stuff because it's way easier to prevent the development of behavioral addictions um, relating to technology than it is to try and um, rip the iPad away from them later on, make them go cold turkey and make them break bad habits that have been going on for a while, right? So prevention is like 90% of the cure with this thing versus like trying desperately to reform teenagers, sending them to like restart schools and things like that. So that's that, there's a parallel to me there in like behavioral um, change and in, the, in just general healthcare. Yeah, well, I mean, it reminds me of, you know, working with people about food. Yeah. Right. Like if you don't, if you're not addicted to it from the beginning, you, mm. you don't have to struggle with it. And and the the kind of junk uh, attention we give yeah. to things is very much like you know junk junky food. Yeah. We have we have these you know amazing brains and bodies that sense all this stuff. Yeah. And we're you know we're meant to be sensing you know movement out of the corner of our eyes and, and yeah danger and sunsets and, and yeah. uh, you know hints that someone's amorously interested in us like we're, we're fine-tuned for that but we're just filling it with, uh, with junk yeah absolutely Ooh, it's like a stone nearly came through your window there so. yeah <laughs> I think that's my neighbor just kicking something up at the mowing with a lawnmower okay well we'll hit the deck if something really comes through so. nice okay so um, not to pivot totally on this one but this does kind of tie in um, what I wanted to talk about today a little bit was um, something I've been thinking about for a few weeks and it's success it's um it's how 
how we kind of measure success, how we think about it, like the, the mindset of success that we have uh, maybe culturally here in America versus some other places in the world, um, and what Systema can kind of teach us about success. Um, I think there's some really interesting things in what Systema does in building kind of like an internal metric for success that in some ways doesn't even rely on the outward performance of techniques or the outward performance of, or even winning a fight in some ways, right? It's possible to succeed in training um, while losing a particular exchange in a physical sense. And also what that kind of teaches us about health generally, and what does it mean to be successfully alive, right? What does it mean to be successfully healthy? So, um, So I'd like to kind of kick off with a few different ways of looking at success, if I can, right? Um, there's, and the first one's kind of a traditional one, right? So, I mean, uh, if you if you had to give a list of the 10 most successful people you know, right? When somebody asks you this question, and there's a friend of mine, Tommy Sowers, actually, who um, who asked me this, he's just like, I'm writing a book about super successful people, how they got there. Um, you know, if you have anybody that you know that you'd like to pass through to me um, to, in conjunction with the book, I'd like to interview them, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and I started thinking, and immediately my brain just jumped to like, well, who are the richest people I know? Who yeah. owns companies? Who's Who are CEOs, right? And who have done all this kind of stuff? And then it occurred to me, it's just like, is that the metric? Is that the benchmark? That I'm holding it to that unless they're super rich company bosses, right? Um, then they can't even be in my consideration for most successful people. And then I started thinking about some of the super successful people that I know, and I'm like, a lot of them aren't very happy, and they're on like their second, third wife, and all the kids don't talk to them. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, is that a successful life well lived? Do you know what I mean? Or is it one that's just struck a delicate balance between kind of this external measure of success and like just about staying alive as well? Mm-hmm. So, do, do you have any thoughts on that straight out just then? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's. it's... I always come back to sort of biology, Mm. right? So like a successful creature, an individual, um, is one that reproduces well. Yeah. Right? So so all like money, Mm -hmm. fame, status, all play into that. So it's like, you know, it's hard to say, you know, someone who's, um, you know, made a lot of money and has a lot of influence and, you know, can give their offspring priority access to resources Hmm. would be a success. Hmm. And yet there's also, you know, I think, I think in America, we think very individualistically. Yeah. Right. There are, there are like every society, every um, population has a bell curve of traits. Sure. And so I'm trying to imagine a society in which everyone is aiming for alpha, Mm. It's a pretty dysfunctional society. So, like, yeah. you know, when we had chickens, they didn't, they weren't constantly like trying to be alpha mm. chickens, mm. right? Um, you know, there, there wasn't that much henpecking. Yeah. Like they, they established their order and the people at the, you know, the chickens, the people yeah. <laughs> at the bottom yeah. seemed just as happy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and some of them would, would be more adventuresome than others and probably have less of a chance of living long. Yeah. So, so like when you're thinking about it in terms of a population, yeah. there are there are ways to be successful, that the population can be successful mm-hmm. um, and so that individuals could then still pass on their genes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so if we, if we start with that very, very basic metric, right, that human success equals living long enough to have kids and the more kids you have, the more successful you are, right? Would that, <laughs> would that not make some of the people who probably aren't socioeconomically all that well off in America some of the most successful people? The people who have like 12, 14 kids, and like they might be on 
welfare or they might be having difficulty getting by. They might be working two jobs at a minimum wage, but they've got 14 kids and they're passing on their genes. And, and mm. those 14 kids will probably have more kids than you and I will or more grandkids than you and I will and that sort of stuff, right? Does that then make them the most popular? I don't think it is. And I don't think that's the, the definition that we accept anymore as humans, right? We have a different metric relative to other animals. It's not enough just to survive long enough to reproduce and then have loads of kids um, or even to become like a grandparent who's involved in the care of lots and lots of kids so you can help assure them, which is maybe one argument for like, well, if I'm a rich grandparent, I can send them all to college, right? So that might be one kind of metric you can think about. But I think we tend to think, like you say, um, we tend to kind of narrow the definition a little bit more now. And it's not just surviving long enough to reproduce, but it's like surviving long enough to reproduce and, and produce security and produce like um, everything that the child needs, not just to survive, but also to thrive, right? So having enough money to send them to like college or having enough money to um, have them learn the trade that they want to get into, right? And supporting them through the difficult years where they don't know what they're doing or something like that, or teaching them directly like one-to-one a trade so that they're well empowered to go out on their own and and also psychologically setting them up, like making them tough enough, making them um, smart enough in terms of like business acumen or in terms of dealing with people and relationships and things. So don't all of those things kind of come under the umbrella. When I think of myself, for example, as a parent, I'm like, I wouldn't think I was a successful parent if I just had kids, right? And then just, I'm like, good luck with that. Or even as I wouldn't be looking at myself as a successful father if I had the kids and my only job was to go to work, to come back, to provide money so that Heather, my wife, could raise the kids, right? And clearly that's a model that we had not too long ago, right? By the, the, the mad men kind of model, right? It's like you go to work, you're the man, you're the provider. All you do is give enough money so that you can have a nice house and a picket fence and, and then your wife ensures the success of the children, essentially, right? By giving them all the other skills that they need to function in society, right? The, the money is like the foundation of your security, and then she provides all the skills and the belonging and the empathy and all that kind of stuff. But now there's a very different expectation for parents, and I think there should be, in, in which to be a successful parent, you have to be, well, okay, I'm connected with my child. He actually likes me. He or she likes me, right? We talk, we get, we're preparing them for the world. We're not over-coddling them. We're not being, we're not giving them like trauma by like, you know, that snapping out them or being too harsh with them when you don't need to be and all that kind of stuff so there's kind of a balance to be struck and even though it's not like a, a list of written rules there's definitely a, a definition of success as a parent and as a human being that there wasn't there like 50 60 years ago yeah well that's why i brought up the you know the biological basis yeah because i think you know I'm, i wasn't arguing that that, sure. that that's what we should be yeah pushing towards but that if we don't think about it yeah that, that all of that leaks in yeah right so if we don't if we aren't aware of our genetic programming and tendencies, mm. we're going to be uh, controlled by it. Sure. Right. So, so that we, we think, you know, like when you look at people who are who are unaware of themselves, mm. it's it's really funny to look at them as if you were a biologist. Yeah. <laughs> looking at a species, or you know, an mm. anthropologist. Sure. Right. Because all of like everything, when we're not thinking about it, everything is driven by these basic you know, imperatives to pass mm -hmm. on our genes. Sure. And so if we, if we want to, um, you know, go beyond that, yeah. uh, then we have to recognize those tendencies and, and make, make other choices. Make human choices, not just animalistic ones, right? So, yeah. And I mean, yeah. you know, so it's, so in, you know, back in the day before we had all this technology and before we had sort of, you know, unnatural concentrations of population, yeah. then those things sort of worked. Like, because, you know, think of every species, to be successful, can't just 
thrive in itself, but it also has to enhance its environment. Sure, or, or, or at least be kind of, um, you know, not destroy its environment around itself because it, it, it relies on the interplay of like prey species and predator species and all that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah, but I, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I would argue, and I'm, you know much more about this than I do, but that, mm. that even competitively, yeah. a species that comes along that can fit the niche, that contributes more to its environment will mm. outcompete a species... So, mm, not necessarily. No, right. some species can just parasitize their environment and succeed very, very well. Right. All right. Um, well, yeah, I, so. I don't want to be part of. I don't want. To, <laughs> I would prefer not to be part of that species. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's true. Okay. So that so that was a really interesting thing. Just politely, you said that um, that we're constantly we have to be aware of those genetic tendencies because um, and we have to kind of transcend them in a sense, right? Those, yeah. those genetic tendencies are always driving our behavior at a base level. And um, what makes us kind of human or what keeps us human in a sense is our ability to recognize those right um, our conscious awareness of those drives and the possibility that we can choose otherwise right or that we can sometimes flip the switch and say yeah that's enough right and um, not many other animals do that right so there's famous examples in zoology like um like uh, cuckoos, right? And that lay their eggs in other birds' nests, right? Mm -hmm. And you can see these ridiculous, uh, and cuckoos are large birds, and sometimes you can see these pictures of like the massive cuckoo egg with a tiny little like uh, wren or bluebird or something sitting on top of it, and it's neglecting its own eggs and sitting on top of this alien huge egg. Mm -hmm. And like the cuckoo chick is taking all the food and all that kind of stuff. It's like, why do they do that? It's because um, typically the cuckoo's egg has more spots on it in some species than the other eggs. And literally there's just an algorithm in the bird head that says whichever egg has the most spots is probably going to be the healthiest mm. so I should focus more on that egg like incubate it make sure it hatches okay and then feed whatever comes out of that more than the others the other ones are runty and they might die anyway the ones with more spots are going to live so the cuckoo just lays an egg with more spots and takes advantage of this basically fractured programming and then the bird just starts feeding it more and more and more and it gets really really huge and the same thing kind of happens with the human satiety reflex sometimes right it's just like there's like sugary food fatty food it's great you stuff it in your face and then you're prepared for an inevitable famine that's going to come soon when there's a massive drought and all that kind of stuff uh, and you don't get periods where you get periods where you can't eat right um except if the drought and the famine never comes then and that food's available all day and all you have is sugar and fatty food you can keep stuffing it in your face until you're 500 pounds right? right it's completely possible and that's genetic programming in a sense that's like feast or famine programming um and in order to transcend that it's not as simple as just realizing that's what's happening and then not doing it, right? And, but it, I think it begins with an understanding that that's probably one of the things that are working against us, right? Along with probably trauma and a bunch of other things that drive people towards certain behaviors, right? All that kind of stuff. So, so what, if we look at it at the base level, what um, base determinants of success Right, as a species or as an individual organism, right, are driving us on a genetic level. So number one is like the very base level, we have to get enough food to survive. We have to build our bodies and have enough energy to move around for long enough to find a mate, right? Mm -hmm. um, so a base driver of success is able to find food, right? Or right. able to move, probably before that is one, and then able to, f able to continue breathing, able to move, and able to find food. That's right. a very, very fundamental driver of I feel like we're building uh, Murphy's mm -hmm. Triangle. Yeah, yeah. something <laughs> like that, yeah. Instead of Maslow, we're yeah. updating it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah so, that's, so that's a base determinant. So those that that drive, that food-getting behavior, um, and that drive to kind of get resources in a sense, like to get that all together and have more of, of what can provide me food, right? And in the modern day and age, not many people 
uh, you grow some of your own food, right? But even you're not subsistence farming, right? You still right. have to buy some of your food. Um, so you still need to acquire wealth in order to buy your <laughs> extra food, right? You can't right. just subsist on the squash that you're growing, right? Because um, it's not when you're around. Um, so how does that feed into our wider behaviors, do you think? How, how does that like push us into wealth-getting behavior? Uh, the, fact, the fact that the food is the baseline? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Because so, it seems to me it's almost like a, it's almost like the gold standard in money. Do you know what I mean? That like money is coupled to food in, in yeah. our brains, right? And, and or secu- food and or security. It's like right. it's well, the house so, that I can buy, the place that I live, yeah, in, yeah. and it's the the food and the amount of it and the quantity of it and the quality of it that I can purchase. Right? Yeah, yeah, I remember reading um, a book called I think it was Ishmael or My Ishmael. Mm. By, um, Daniel Quinn, I believe. It's a book of sort of philosophy. Mm. And he talks about it, and it's very, very, it's good stuff. And he talks yeah. about, like, human civilization started when somebody locked up the food supply. Mm. So before, like, no other animal has to make money. Yeah. You know, like Seinfeld says, dogs have no money because they have no pockets. They have no sure. way to carry it. Yeah. Right? But, like, the idea, like, to think, like, money is so obvious and entrenched and natural yeah but we're the only species that has to buy things yeah well it has to although some of us do trade for things so i think i was reading in a couple of weeks ago about like a i think it's bonobos or something like that where some of the females ex- take uh, berries or things in exchange for sex so there were bonobo whores out there so that's why oh, okay. <laughs> that's interesting necessity yeah yeah it's just easier you know yeah. like, you could still like a bonobo i think could still absent human civilization could still go and gather their food. Sure. Okay. Right? And so, and I guess everything's a matter of degree. Like, I'm sure there's, you know, yeah. flatworms who do things we can't imagine. But, but, but your basic point is that once you go from gathering and produ- becoming the means of production yourself of your own food and that kind of stuff, once you start outsourcing that, then you're tied to having to produce some sort of wealth that's not food, right? You have to right. produce something of value for somebody else, right. whether it's and something you can trade or whether it's something, or whether it's just money, which is the promise of trade, right? Yeah, or even beyond that, I mean, Jared Diamond talks about, yeah. like, when we were hunter-gatherers, yeah. we, weren't the, we weren't the producers of the food, we were the collectors of the food. Once we started doing agriculture, yeah. then all of a sudden we have this, you know, excess caloric, and now we, we have people, we have, you know... Now we need places to store it, and we need guards, and we need civilization. We need hierarchies. Mm. Um, So when you talk about the the connection between food and wealth, so we have these these brains that can get hijacked by hyperpalatability in terms of I can eat more than I need to my detriment. Mm. You know, I would argue that we could amass more than we need to our detriment as well. Absolutely. Yeah, so so I guess what I'm getting at to this is... um, so we'll actually just go through the rest of the triangle a little bit, right? So, um, so once you've got that food, right? And, uh, so clearly there are genetic drivers to us actually trying to acquire food or the means to acquire food and wealth is kind of tied up to that, right? After that, you've got security. It's the ability to protect your food and your people and your family, right? Um, to have something that's set aside from somebody else, right? Whether the things that you own or the people that you have to keep them safe, right? Um, and I think in the modern day, that translates to housing, right? It translates to what does my house look like? Do I live in a, a trailer or a modular home which is in like a rough part of town or something like that or a little apartment where the door doesn't lock and you know the drug dealer next door can kick the door in anytime he wants or do I live in a nice detached like McMansion right, <laughs> outside yeah. of everything and I feel completely safe and it's got an alarm system on it and people aren't going to come beat in my door quite so easily um, and so the means of acquiring wealth is also connected to that right because very few of us just build our own mansions like Amish style we don't build ourselves a barn and then kid it out and make it into like a faux 
like conversion or something like that, right? Some people do, and there's the, it seems there are entire television channels now directed at the coveting of more and better properties, and also the idea that maybe we get one that's just a bargain. Do you know what I mean? Do people mm-hmm. just it, it used to be a show here and there, but now you know sometimes I'm in the gym or something, and you switch on the channel. There's literally four channels, twenty four hours a day, and all they show is either um, moderately rich or very rich people looking at uh, greater and greater <laughs> values of shelter, basically. That's personally. funny because yeah. I just started going to the gym yeah. last week because I'm not running, so I'm yeah. uh, treadmilling and they have this bank and I was like, this is so, so like they have the you know the sports channels sure. and they have the um, like adventure Sure. You know, men, men, testosterone channels. But then, like half of them were like HGTV and, sure. yeah, and yeah. bargain hunters, and I did not realize this was a yeah. a genre. Yeah, yeah, big genre as well. That's huge, right? So, so you can so in there, I can see like the drive for security gone mad. Do you know what I mean? All the drive, mm-hmm. and then you can kind of get into you know um, what's kind of necessary prepping or necessary security in your home That's versus nice. like going out of control and having like way more armament and alarms yeah. and. Pre- as a, things that you need and all I mean, what comes to me is that yeah. as a as as a societal phenomenon yeah. that's blowback so mm-hmm. it's the, you know why do we need all this security yeah. because we have all this inequality maybe yeah yeah yeah, yeah we can yeah right. and certainly and, usually and in the countries with a higher inequality gap then you've got more risk of the have nots wanting the haves right, right. I mean, if ever, yeah. you know if, like we we lived in South Africa we visited mm-hmm. a Assam Bushman group like I'm sure there was no theft sure right yeah. there's not this like you know, it's well, not much steal, to steal. So. Steal my toothbrush, I'll just pick up another twig from the tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, the more you have a value, the more attachment you have to it, and the more fear you have of losing it. Right. Yeah. So, so that ties And the more, yeah. you know, the, like what, I can't remember, it was Dillinger or Jesse James said, like, they said, why do you rob banks? Because that's where the money is. Yeah. It's like, why would, you know, why would you make your house a target? Yeah. And this, you know, this relates to me to sort of OPSPEC and, uh, hmm. like, if, you know, if you want to be. Uh, a survivalist. Yeah. The last thing you should wear are fatigues right. and SWAT boots all the time. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. You should look like everybody else. Sure. Yeah. Which is a advice that Constantine often gives as well. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. So and then going up through the thing there. So you've got your security. You've got enough to survive. You've got you and yours. Um, there's that drive to reproduce, which is somewhere in between the two, right? As well. Like you, you need to. You want to have kids. You want to have sex. All that kind of stuff, right? And it's clear to see what that looks like when it goes out of control, right? It's like internet porn addiction or you know, just not being able to hold down a relationship because you're constantly just looking for the more and the better and the, the more physically attractive or the new sensation of like what's exciting and all that kind of stuff. It's easy to see how um, or, or you, you can get into over success on that one, right? For example, you could say somebody who you might say, wow, he's a real successful like mate, he's a real successful person with women, uh, and you could, he could be miserable, right? He could have like twenty years. I'm, I'm thinking of the guy that wrote uh, that book, The Game, that was about mm, uh, Neil Strauss. Neil Strauss, that's why he was a he was a journalist, right? And I think he wrote an article about for those of you who haven't read it, an article about pickup artists who were like professional pickup artists who would go out and they would hire layers and then they would pick up like five, six women in a night, like and sleep with them and then set them free again, yeah. like catch and release program, and then like uh, and then just do this and sit and then they would like. Um, guys would pay them to show them their tricks and how they would create uh, mystery and ambience and put the women down a little bit so there's just enough kind of um, chase going on and all that kind of stuff and then um, for me 
the parable of, of that whole thing was that he went through all of that and then all of these pickup artists were miserable and one of the guys was checked in like for to a mental institution so they spent like you know years um playing all of these women doing all these things and they were, not one of them had a like a solid connection or relationship between them and the author himself almost lost the only relationship that was worth having because he was trying to run game on this woman who was actually just wanting a real who'd seen a lot of it as well and was just like no why are you doing this why are you doing this fake thing right and so the parable to me was is like that's not the definition of success in mating it's not how many you've had and what's going on the definition of success is that you've actually you've 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 landed a good one right yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you're happy with your mate and you're maintaining and, and doing all those things as well yeah well, i mean yeah. in a world with birth control you know yeah. like there you know there is this sort of you know there's the serial you know monogamy as a strategy and there's also yeah you know run around and spread your oats and sure um, that can, you know, it also works in, yeah. in, in air quotes sure. as, a, yeah. as a reproductive strategy. But I think, you know, in a world of birth control, it probably works less yeah. than, than it used to. Yeah. And I mean, you know, think, think, if you think about, you know, laying out bait, like, if you know, your, your way of being in the world is your, is your bait, yeah. lure for kids. Like, this is a great way mm. to attract insecure people. Mm. <laughs> if, if that's what you're into, if you're into, like... You know, people who have who have damaged self-esteem. Yeah, like the game really works. Sure, but it's not going to work for someone who you yeah. know knows knows their mind. Sure. Yeah, yeah. They're not as easily preyed upon in that sense. Okay, so so we've gone through health successfully. You know, staying alive, healthy, or well, survival more than health, really, right? Survival. Well, I'm going to define health slightly differently. I think health is something a bit more than survival, as hopefully <laughs> you agree. <laughs> it's, your your business is not called Wellstart Survival. Right? <laughs> that would imply a completely different set of uh, core they'll be going through right um so you've got survival at the base level like successfully surviving then you've got security right which again is about survival to an extent um, and then upwards from that you've got kind of belonging and and like successful uh like finding somebody right to get together with like that way and then upwards from that you've got um these ideas of like status right this idea of like what's your um What's your position in the in the hen pecking run? Do you know what I mean? Or where, are you the alpha? Are you the beta at, at work? Like so, success in your field that could be measured as like how are you relative to everybody else in the field that you're in, or maybe even on a smaller scale like relative to everybody else in the office or everybody else in the school or the class or whatever it's going to be, right? So we tend to once we get to this level, I think we tend to measure our success as like am I the valedictorian or uh, am I the employee of the month? Am I the 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 middle manager versus the low manager? Am I the CEO versus do, the, the, do, I, the, do I have the the newest car on the block. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All of those things, which is t was tied in though. So status, obviously there's so many drivers towards that and there's almost no end to the status that you could aspire to, right? Um, it used to be people aspired to be comfortable and then people aspire to be millionaires and then they aspire to be billionaires. You know, it's like, it's like there's almost no end to it. I, th I think I was reading an article the other day about, um, I can't her name is Trish something or the other. She's like, it was on the, she has like talk shows during the day. I can't remember what her name is now. I can't remember what her last name is. Anyway, <laughs> I can't. I can't, ages, I can't help you with daytime talk shows. Yeah, I was, I was reading about them, but she was talking about how she hasn't got like script money. Like she that she's made. She makes eleven million dollars a year on a contract that she's on, mm -hmm. um, just to be on TV on these talk shows and all this kind of thing. And um, but she hasn't got enough money to do her dream, which is to take her family to charter a yacht in the Mediterranean for like um, a month and just go around the Mediterranean with a chartered yacht. And she's like, that would be like a couple of 
million on its own. And mm. so like out of my year's income, I can't afford to do that. So I haven't quite got screw up money. So she hasn't arrived in her mind. She's making 11 million a year, but she's uh-huh. like, mm, I haven't really arrived until I can afford to do that sort of thing and not worry yeah. about it. Right? That's a different definition of success right. than most people hold themselves to as opposed status and money. Right? Of course, that's, yeah. she's, she's also saying, I wish I could do what like, what like poor Cypriot fishermen do. Sure. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, not quite a yacht. They kind of have to do it for themselves. It's like, with the skills. Okay. So, um, so you've got that. And then you might have this, this extra level, right? Again, tying it back into the whole Maslow thing again, um, of this idea that, okay, so you've got your status, but there are plenty of CEOs, like people at the top of their field, um, people who have a nice family and the brand new Tesla and like the, the biggest house and like control and power and all that kind of stuff. And, and maybe they own a company that makes paperclips, right? Or they, know, they own a company that's not really doing all that much good in the world. And maybe at a certain point they start to think, yeah, but why? Why am I here? What's the purpose? Uh, you know, what dent am I putting on the world? What kind of serious impact do I have? What's my legacy? And then at this point, some of them decide to open, you know, nonprofits or they'll do, you know, kind of uh, philanthropic work, people like Bill Gates, people like that, right? And some of them just don't. Some of them just revel in their greed and just go down the hole of what's going on, that kind of stuff. So there's a level of success that's there as well. It's like maybe some people think they're not successful unless they leave something behind that improves everything for everybody else, right? So there's there's layers in there as well. Don't miss your chance to train with senior systemic instructor Martin Wheeler at the four-day masterclass North Carolina, October 10th to 13th, 2019. The theme this year is Soft Work to Full Speed, a progressive multi-day exploration of fighting tactics, covering basic moving and striking, advanced grappling and takedowns, full speed knife and stick work, and tapping the unconscious mind in combat. The event is strictly limited to 35 persons, and advanced pricing is $650 for both days by April the 1st, with the option of a non-returnable deposit of $150 to hold your spot. Register online at ncsystema.com events, or email us for more details. What I'd like to go back to, like bearing all that stuff in mind and trying to reel it desperately back in towards systemic and health, which is really what we want to talk about, right? Um, when we're talking about uh, health, right, we come back down to health over um, just survival. What, on the very basis level, right, um, health and survival, like you could say that you're successful um, in survival if you survived from one day to the next, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I rode down here on my motorcycle through the back roads from Hillsborough all the way down here to, to your place, to your power shed to record. Um, I took a couple of wrong turns, which put some, you know, set me back by maybe five minutes. But at no point did I skid off the motorcycle and damage my motorcycle or graze the heck out of my arms or something like that. I successfully didn't die on the way down here. So you could say that that was a successful trip. Right, and often people say this when they're on airplanes as well. They're like, you know, any flight that goes from A to B and lands, so like that was a successful flight, right? It got there, and that. But that's a very base standard to hold yourself to, right? If you got delayed fourteen hours and you were angry and terrified the whole way over or whatever was happening, you wouldn't really call that a successful flight, right? So, so there's obviously like kind of some level at which we agree that we're successful in these kinds of things, right? So, what for you would be the baseline of success? as it regards to health. It can't just be, I'm still alive the next day and the next day. Is it just life expectancy? Um, is, it, is, is there some measure of the quality of life that you have within that life expectancy or is it something different? You know, for me, health is a, um, it's a means. Hmm. So, so you know, and it's interesting because people come to me because it's, it's the end. 
Yeah. Right. I want to improve my health. I want to lose this weight. I want to reverse my diabetes. Yeah. And so, and very often, you know, we're, we're motivated by what they say. We don't, we don't change because we see the light. We change because we feel the heat. Yeah. Right. So, so people are focused very reductionistically on if I could just be healthy. Yeah. Like, in their definition, it means absence of disease. Yeah. And that's a great place to start because it's, it is motivation. Yeah. But, you know, when people start um, on the path yeah. and they improve, like all of a sudden, like one of my co-authors just was trying to, um, you know, get, get a good deal on life insurance. He was, a, you know, a successful surgeon, mm. but he was rejected for life insurance because he had like cholesterol deposits in his eyeballs and, mm. like, you know, really, really sick. And when he started cleaning up his lifestyle, he said all of a sudden he had so much energy, mm. he had to start like running to just burn it off. Mm. And he discovered running and he discovered lifting weights and did CrossFit. And, you know, it became uh, instead of I'm going, to, I just want to be healthy so I don't feel bad. Yeah. It became I am I am a an authentic human being and this is like what humans do. I, I need I want to feel like this, like thriving. I want to feel more and more yeah, like I want, I want I want to move like an authentic human. Yeah. You know, in the same way that you know, you put a bird in a cage and you give it all its food, you're like, oh that's a happy bird. You know, that yeah. bird doesn't have to exert any energy. Yeah. But there are there are sort of authentic patterns yeah. of of movement, of thought. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, being healthy means being in alignment as closely as possible with mm. with our with what with what has helped us evolutionarily okay. over over tens of millennia. Notwithstanding all the other things we talked about <laughs> as well, that some of the things that helped us evolutionarily, especially with regard to nutrition in the past, might not necessarily be helping us now. You know, there's some well, things. Well, yeah, so yeah. there's yeah, there's the impulse, yeah. but there's also the facts on the ground. Sure. Like if we if we are if we if you're eating a whole food plant based diet, yeah, you do have a lot more leeway in yeah. terms of eating to satiety. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Versus like a whole fat <laughs> meat based diet or, right. or an artificial yeah. food based diet kind of food. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, um, so so in a way, we've shifted the goalposts of or the definition of success from absence of death <laughs> to absence of disease, right? Um, to presence of what? I think it's going to be different for everyone, but it's, it's mm. sort of like you know, happiness, meaning, mm. fulfillment. I mean, it's it's hard for me to come up with a definition that would fit. But all, all of those come into health for you, right? So, so happiness comes into well, health, right? So, so you could be skinny, you could be ripped, you could be crossfitted, but if you're not happy, uh, it, does that come into health? Or, or does that well, I guess there's, you know, there's mental, emotional, spiritual sure. health. Sure. I, don't, I, don't know, yeah. you know, I don't exactly know what the word means, yeah. um, but I'm, you know, I'm keying off of our initial discussion of success. Yeah. Like for me to be successful, and I know people who aren't healthy, who, who sure. are successful in that with, with whatever their disabilities or diseases or conditions sure. are, yeah. are, you know, are being fully human. Yeah. Like, you know, that, your friend Gene Lodson comes to, not Gene Lodson, uh, Smithson. Smithson. Yeah. Gene sure. Lodson is a farmer, yeah. Gene, yeah. you know, who is uh, grievously injured, but used his, his, his unhealth yeah. to produce something of, of sort of transcendent value for, sure. for himself and for everyone who comes into contact with him. Well put. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this is, so this is really interesting. So, um, so right away we're getting into this idea that, um, that success is more, 
uh, it doesn't have to actually have to have an external metric, right? So you could lose X amount of weight and have X body mass index and still be miserable, emotionally depressed, right? All these other things like not have connection in your life, all these other things. So, and in a lot of ways they'd be like, yeah, he's not healthy, right? Still, right? They would say that even if you looked really, really good, like from the outside and mm -hmm. all the doctors were like, yeah, your blood sugar is great. Your cholesterol levels are great. Look at those six pack abs, but it's still perfectly possible to be unhealthy looking like that and, and living that way right so to me that's kind of an interesting thing and on the flip side you can also look in a way that doesn't look all that healthy to other people like maybe your body mass index is a little bit higher than people than the doctor would like it to be maybe your um, blood sugar levels and cholesterol levels are a little bit off they're not like ideal and that kind of stuff but you have this happy vibrant existence you know you're you're spending time with friends every day and i think of my parents in spain for example you know they're happy all the time and that kind of stuff is could my dad be a bit skinnier possibly do you know and that kind of stuff but he's way happier than he was when he was living in England like with more money like you know with with more kind of responsibility and other things going on and then so some aspect of health is intrinsic then it's like I've decided like at this point that um, that I can be I can create all those things inside myself of course there's a cutoff point past which physically you'd be like yeah you're unhealthy because you it's limiting the things that you can do in your day but there are plenty of people who are limited in other ways that still find ways of living a full life and you'd be like yeah that's that's a healthy person right yeah well mm -hmm. any you know any metric is going to be reductionist okay any one metric any one metric even yeah. even even you know any metrics we choose sure mm. like you say like these are the numbers like at some point we're going to stop doing tests just because we don't we don't, the person doesn't have enough blood yeah. to 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 do them all or the insurance isn't going to pay for it or they or we haven't discovered the relationship between this particular metric and the validity of some health outcome yeah like at some point all those numbers are just proxies yeah um, and and people are different yeah um, so to, you know to I think it's at some point any metric and I, and I love metrics and we use mm. them very very aggressively in coaching sure. because we want people to be on the right path it's almost sure. like you know your um, your plane metaphor if mm. the, you want to be looking at the at the navigation equipment yeah like all the time yeah right. but but it doesn't define you as a pilot if you're two degrees off sure yeah and, and for you know for most of for most of the ride yeah um, but yeah, yeah I, I think you know true yeah true health and truth of success is 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 not only an individual like subjective thing but it's also communal yeah okay right? there's I mean there's a lot you talk about people who are a little bit overweight or people who drink and smoke yeah like the best predictor of, of longevity and yeah. and is social connection sure yeah yeah a lot, blue, a lot of the blue zones research was like uh, kind of turned around a little bit on that on that uh, discovery right yeah I mean I beat yeah. the drum for food all the time but food yeah. really doesn't hold a candle to whether you feel loved and whether you feel like you belong sure because that will affect even your metabolism and the way that you process the food healthy or not right like in lots of ways okay cool so now rolling it back towards um systema as a like a physical pursuit right um as a as a way of learning to defend yourself and keep yourself alive in different situations and make yourself kind of robust um so that it's harder to break you right uh, again a very base level of success in systema might be that um i've been doing systema for six years and i'm not dead yet 
right? <laughs> it's like nobody killed me, and uh, like, and I didn't break anything. Do you know what I mean? So I didn't break my neck, and so I'm success. I'm a successful systemic practitioner because I've been doing it for a lot of years, and I'm not dead. That's a very base level one, right? right. Um, and next level up from that might be some of those sort of things: the absence of disease or the absence of harms. Like I've been doing systemic X years, and I'm not crippled with injuries, right? And this is interesting because in other some other martial arts, they can't say that a lot of the time past like 40, right? It's like I've been doing kickboxing for X number of years. Yeah, I can't move my knees, but if we got in a straight hand fight, I could totally beat you or something like that, right? It's like if you beat yourself up, if you kick your own ass with what you're doing um, and you create disease or you create injury or you... Uh, or you limit your capacity to live your life physically, mm -hmm. right, through what you're doing, that can't be regarded as success, right? So there are two base level things um, as, a, as, as a martial art or as a self-defense um, pursuit that you could say, um, nobody killed me yet and mm -hmm. I've survived this far and I'm not broken, right? So they're two very, very base things, right? Um, but even within that, I'm not broken, right? That should mean that your one of your primary goals in training should be not to break yourself, right? That should always be there. Um, and that needs to supersede the other goal, which might be I need to beat everybody or I need to win all the time or I need to be the best person on this mat, right? Or I need to be the best instructor or I need to be the best whatever. Because if you break yourself on the way to that goal, then your success metrics are off in exactly the same way as like the, the CEO who breaks his family on the goal to having the most successful company in the world breaks themselves do you see do you get what i'm gonna yeah well and for me the, the the shift was at first i was learning how to do things yeah right just because okay so glenn can throw this punch and i don't understand how he does it and what are the mechanics and how do, what do i have to do with my knees in order to allow it sure but at a certain point the learning became how do i become sensitive to what my body yeah. needs at this moment yeah and sometimes that meant not throwing the punch yeah and, you know if the question became what what do I give my allegiance to sure my own body's growing my body's uh, sensitivity mm. to the to the surroundings or doing a move yeah and I, th I think it has to start with like doing the move for most people. Has to start with performance, you think? I think, I mean, for the, well, speaking for myself, hmm. you know, with my, with the, with the brain that was conditioned the way mine was conditioned, yeah. it was all about like, how do I do this? That hmm. looks so cool. How do I take someone down gently? Hmm. How do I do an arm bar? Yeah. Um, but, but it, it, you know, in order to, Succeed. It, it flipped into how do I gain sensitivity even when the thing didn't work? Yeah. Or even you know maybe the armbar is not the right thing to do in this situation even though we're sort of practicing armbars. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So so there's an interesting thing in that and that you um, you kind of sort of said that it's almost like a prerequisite. You have to kind of get some sort of extrinsically measurable metric of success in doing something right if you if you physically can't put your hands and feet in the right place and get somebody to go on the ground or um or strike somebody without hurting your wrist or something like that right um then there's a basic level of performance right there's a basic level of extrinsically measurable success an instructor can look at you and be like yeah you don't know how to punch or you don't know how to walk or you don't know how to engage the ground right and so there's a base level of skill and understanding and awareness that's necessary for you to be able to even do anything else with it right and to me that's almost analogous to there's a base level of income that's necessary to survive and just not be so stressed out about where the next meal is coming from right uh, and there's a base level of food or availability of food that's that's um, necessary before you can worry about the quality of food that you're eating 
right? And, and a colleague of mine works with the Duke World Food Health Policy Center. And she says that at all the conferences that she goes to, it's a constant battle between two camps. Mm-hmm. One camp of people who are like, we need to make sure that we're educating, you know, people who are like obese and eating terrible foods and they're eating Bojangles and McDonald's every like three meals a day and they're feeding it to their families. We need to educate them more about the quality of their food and we need to kind of remove food deserts and supply better qualities of food to people. And it's a lack of knowledge and it's the ignorance that's making them eat that way. Um, And then there's another camp of people who are like, they don't have enough food. Like any food they can get in their face relative to the income level they're on, right? If they can feed their entire family for $3 at McDonald's, then that's what they're going to do day in, day out. If you go to Whole Foods or something and $3 will buy you one pepper, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or something like that. So there's a necessity. There's a basic level of like, I need enough food to feed my family before you can even have the luxury of worrying about what the quality of that food is if you're not producing it yourself, right? right. Um, or you're in a place where those there are... Um, uneven incentives, right? The, like the bad food is subsidized in a sense relative to the good food and that kind of stuff. But there's a basal level that you need, right? So, And I feel like that's kind of some of the system. There's a basal level of kind of confidence, of mobility, of movement that you need. You need to be a little bit freer in the shoulders than just stuck and everything moving. Um, you need to have like a basal level of integrity to your elbows and your knees and stuff just to be able to do a martial art, right? But the goal then after that is not to make your knees and your elbows are so strong and so indestructible that they're all the way, that, that's, that's not the measure of success, that you just get bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger so that people can't hurt you. And nor is it that you learn to perform that armbar so well that you can get it on anybody of any size and that's what's going on. At some point, the, and quite soon on in my mind, the motivation has to flick to an intrinsic one. It's like, actually the goal here is not to be the best at this thing. It's not even to perform this thing way, way, way better than everybody else. Um, It's actually just to continue to grow from the inside, right? To to increase my ease and comfort with this movement, with my confidence in how it's working and my understanding of what's happening to the other person and seeing in bigger and bigger circles in a sense, right? Rather than seeing it in a very narrow reductionist pass-fail success or like how good was that one out of a scale of 10, which is one reason why we don't have belts and gradings in the system, right? It's like it's almost impossible to do that. Um, but instead, we're thinking in terms of, well, how did you feel as you did that thing? Like, did, did, mm-hmm. the, when I look at a really good system of practitioner and I see the difference between their movement, it's that one person just seems to do everything very, very easily and the other person can achieve the same result or an even more spectacular result. Like we have a, a guy who's a wrestler who's, who's a great wrestler. He didn't study Chinese wrestling for a lot of years. His father taught him and he studied with some of the greats in that style, right? Um, and he can do like really snappy, whippy hip throws and shoulder throws and things like that, right? But it looks like an effort, like when he's doing it a lot of the time, right? He'll move into it and he's throwing it in there. And, um, but it's very effective and all that kind of stuff. But when I see him do things that are way more relaxed, when I see him just moving into something and casually sweeping somebody's foot out and they hit the ground, I'm like, that is, that's mastery of a movement, right? Mm-hmm. It's because of the state so, that he yeah. Yeah. So, so I would go back to your motorcycle journey here. Okay. You got lost twice. Yeah. So I would say success is not that you got here, Yeah. but the higher level of success is when you got lost, did you curse yourself? Did right. you have a temper tantrum? Did you beat yourself up? Did you, uh, did you lose control of your cortisol? Mm-hmm. Or 
Or, I or, did not. I, I casually parked and turned around again. <laughs> or, and yeah. for somebody, it might be they do and then they recover themselves. Sure. Yeah. Right. So success. So the again, you know, it's like the journey. Hmm. The, the destination is the excuse for the journey. Yeah. Right. So when you're talking about the people arguing about world, you know, food and world health, hmm. they are arguing at the wrong level. Hmm. They're arguing at the individual level when the issue is. A different level, and I yeah. see the same thing all the time with Systema, yeah. where the, my problem, I'm, when I try to solve the problem at the level at which I recognize the problem, it's the wrong level. Yeah, that it's almost there's almost never a time when I have been doing something poorly when you said you know, relax your shoulders, mm. that didn't help. Sure. Yeah. It's not that your arm was in the wrong place. It's just the, the, the tension, right? It was holding it back. Yeah. Um, so, so what we've kind of looked at, in a sense, is kind of two ways of defining success, right? One of them is an extrinsic one, right? Which is like, I have more of X relative to somebody else or relative mm -hmm. to the other people in my field or my class or my school or whatever it's going to be, right? So which is, I, which I have is more money. Which I have is zero more, sum. I have more muscles. Yeah, whatever it's going to be, right? I have more of this. I have more bragging rights to this. I have more car, whatever it's going to be, right? So there's one which is purely extrinsic metrics, which is like, I have more of X than you. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I'm more successful than you, right? So right. that's one way of measuring success. Right. It's, it's not only extrinsic, it's, it's, it's mm -hmm. based on competition. Sure. Yeah. Right. So, okay. so that when, you know, if, you, if I have $11 million and my neighbors all have 30 million, yeah. then I, I feel like a failure. Sure. Yeah, totally. So it's, it's all relative. So we'll call that the relative extrinsic model. Right. Okay. Um, and then we've got the intrinsic model, which is just like it doesn't, not that it doesn't matter how much of X you have, right? So if you have X amount of body fat, you might be feel you're failing in one way or another anyway, right? Just because it's out of the bounds of um, healthy existence or something. And if you have below a certain level of money, it's like you might feel like, uh, I'm not really surviving here in America. It's very difficult. My family don't have the things that they need, wherever it's going to be. So there might be a basal level of extrinsically measurable success um, that you get to, but it's not really competition-based. It's not relative to everybody else, right? It's just like, there's an arbitrary level at some point and it's different for different things at uh, which you'd be like yeah right I've arrived at like survival level here um, and then beyond that my definition of success depends upon me right it's like do I feel happy at the level that I'm at right um, for example like my level of being able to speak Spanish, right, is pretty terrible, right? But am I distraught about it? Am I like, oh, I wish I could speak Spanish as well as everybody else? Like, not really, because I don't have to speak Spanish every day. But if I was living in Mexico, or I was living in Spain, where my parents live, and I was there for 10 years and still hadn't learned or bothered to learn Spanish, I would look at myself as a failure, like straight out. I'd be like, I just know inside mm -hmm. that I should do better than this, right? So there's like this intrinsic... Um, driver towards I, I, I know I'm, I'm capable of more and that I would be happier right if I could do this whole thing and it's the same thing with Sistema in a sense it's like once you get past the basal level of whatever you feel like is basic achievement right like alright I can throw a punch I can take a punch a little bit I can take somebody to the ground not everybody but some people right <laughs> I can do this I can hold myself against that so after that the, the motivation has to become intrinsic it, it has to be like how happy am I in my training how um, how much do I feel like I'm I'm developing relative to the person I was yesterday or last month or last year. And so the only person that's worth being competitive with is yourself, right? And in that kind of sense. And the, and the 
the motivations are intrinsic and in child psychology and child development um, people talk a lot about that right that if you give children external metrics of success like you have to make these grades and you have to do these things then they can become the top of their class and get all the way through school and get a great job and be absolutely miserable and wonder what they're doing in their lives and why right because they've never really stopped to ask themselves they're just measuring against these extrinsic metrics so the, the, the thing that's derenure now is like straight away you give children an intrinsic sense of what success is like how do you feel wow you tried really hard at that and how do you feel that you you know you did better than you did yesterday and all that kind of stuff not like prizes for fifth place and stuff like that it's, it's getting into a different sense but just building these this sense of intrinsic grit and drive from the inside right mm-hmm. not from the out not because they want to be better than somebody else but because they want to be good for themselves right they want to be as good as they can be as authentic as they can be to thrive as much as they can be so we've got extrinsic competitive we've got intrinsic right um, and then there's one more the idea that I'd like to look at, and this could, you know, this just kind of occurred to me on the way down even a little bit, right? And it's, it's the idea of kind of like the success can be married, measured a little bit by the efficiency with which you get to the place you're getting, right? Mm-hmm. So in like um, business or in wealth or something like that, they might call that the return on investment, right? Um, so it's like, well, you, tr- you spent a lot of time doing this thing. You put a lot of money into this or you spent a lot of time working on this business, this nonprofit or whatever it's going to be like what have you got out of it? And it doesn't necessarily have to be how much money do I get out of it? It might be like, what did you get out of it as a whole, right? Did you get more out than you put in? Or is it, you have to put in three times as much than you get out of it. And the same thing with health. It's like, it's like you could commit yourself to like one health thing. It could be like, yeah, I do crossfit relentlessly and that's all i do or i do distance running and that's all i do right that's my health thing and that kind of stuff right and do you get for all the hours that you put into distance running or the hours that you put into doing crossfit and competing in the crossfit games like what do you get out of it like in the long term and that might differ for different people it might be like i only run a few times a week but that gives me an enormous sense of well-being of like cardiovascular health i can i connect with nature i get way more out of running than running takes out of me right yeah. or if you're a running maniac right and you just run every single day and you're just constantly training and you're constantly like a mass of knee injuries and like misery and all that kind of stuff so like are you getting as much out of running as, as that other guy is, right? So at what point do you stop to look at the return on investment of what it is that you're doing, right? right. Um, well, yeah, the yeah. two words that come to me there are sort mm. of ego and elegance. Okay. So that, like for, for me, when, I st- when I'm doing something that I'm no longer getting a return on, yeah. it's because my ego is invested in it. Like, Excellent. oh, I'm a runner. Yeah. So that I have to do that. Sure. Yeah. And who would I be without? Yeah. And I was talking, I just did a podcast with a guy, a naturopath in Colorado, a very spiritual guy. So I was asking him about his daily routines and he's like, well, you know, I used to meditate. I don't meditate anymore. I said, really? Yeah. He says, yeah, I was, I was doing it for my ego. I would just drag, I'm a meditator. Yeah. And, and I do other things and I'm mindful all the time and I see patients and I'm, mm. I'm constantly, you know, but I'm not doing, sitting my ass on a, on a cushion, mm. meditating. And, and that was a hard thing to give up because mm. that was my ego. Sure. You know? Yeah, and the other is like you know, there's. I think of like instead of efficiency, I like the word elegance. Okay. Because like I think you know, think of Vlad mm. working with people. Yeah. Like he could pull out a gun and shoot them. Right. And yeah. that would be more efficient. Sure. Than what he does. Yeah. Uh, at a, you know at a certain level. Sure. But the ele- you know, when I see him move and take people down, there's, there's yeah. a, it's not it's it's not a sparseness of sure. movement. There's just there's nothing extraneous nothing wasted nothing yeah. nothing wasted yeah that's what i'm getting at i think it's like it's the avoidance of wasted effort and this hopefully is what brings us full circle back to this initial question of what can systema teach us about success um i think that the practice of systema shows us that trying to depend on the external metrics 
doesn't isn't really satisfying right that if you're trying to be better than the guy that's next to you that's been training for a few years and you're like if i just train really hard i'll be better than him right or maybe i'll just learn some jujitsu on the side or something so i can beat him in a ground fight or i'll do this or do that right it doesn't normally yield results too well right yeah or it doesn't give you the benefits that systema can give you if you approach it that way if you're like i'm gonna win systema right if you come in and you try and um, treat every interaction between you and you and your partner as a as a zero sum like win lose interaction all that kind of stuff right um, and you chew and you treat training as a whole as like I'm winning at it or I'm not winning at it right in that kind of way if you do that um, it doesn't tend to work very well and some people come at system of that way attempt to do it because they've had extrinsic rewards in other martial arts like they've competitions or bouts or whatever it's going to be and they don't see it they don't feel the extrinsic feedback and so they leave they're just like yeah I'm, I'm not getting results here I'm putting some time in and I'm not seeing the results that I expected mm-hmm. of like me better than the other person because I train harder or something like right. that I'm doing more of it and so they leave so it can show you if you allow it to that the extrinsic um, results aren't everything and aren't the best um, definition of success like for in training right um, it also encourages intrinsic metrics I think because it encourages you to look at everything as your problem right <laughs> when you can't take somebody down or you can't take a strike instead of blaming them for hitting you too hard or um, being a dick in the drill and being too stiff and not letting you work or something like that you you intrinsic we are constantly kind of reminded to look inside ourselves and say well what did I do like what in my structure gave way am I holding my breath did I stop moving Am I too tense? Am I wasting effort here? How much of that is contributing to this interaction? Right? Did I come into it with a bad mindset? And that's what kind of allowed me to be controlled or whatever it was going to be. So it constantly shifts the blame and the responsibility to ourselves and asks us to be like, I, no, I should do better. I, I should do better than I sh- did yesterday. I should do better than I did five minutes ago. I need to learn to snap out of it, to shrug things off, move on. And my only metric is me versus me. It's not me versus everybody else, right? So I think it encourages those two things. But even on that third um criterion for looking at success which is um as and i like your phrase much better right i was thinking in terms of the return on investment the kind of the efficiency with it the elegance is that's even better right and um, it's how much of my effort here is wasted right if 70 percent of your effort was wasted in performing a certain movement and getting somebody to the ground or in hitting somebody but you it, it doesn't matter what the result was in a sense, right? That you wasted 75% of your effort. If somebody else could do the same thing or if you could do the same thing with 25% effort, then there's less wasted effort and then you see that you can get the same result. You can get somebody to fall over, you can get somebody to stop hitting you by hitting them accurately or precisely or deeply or whatever it's gonna be with way, way less effort. And there's like uh, some instructors have constantly, uh, Emmanuel Manolakax is one of them, sort of said you should try to never use more than 25% effort in Sistema. Like never more than 25%. And if you are, you, you're not going to learn how to use less than like 50% effort ever at any point because you're always doing the other thing right so I think it teaches us a lot about success and then those skills those things can be transferable so again it's like this lab where we learn what this thing is right we can learn about what health is we can learn about what connection is all of these things that we talk about in our podcast right um, but success to me it's a really difficult one to get away from from all, for all the reasons that we've talked about you have these inbuilt genetic drivers and then you have these cultural metrics for success right um, that in some cultures are more driven towards individual success than others right and all of these things are playing for our attention and playing um, for our mindset and Sistema shows us very very clearly right in our faces in a, in a very tactile immediate way um, that success probably isn't what you think it is success is probably about what's going on inside of you it's probably about um, how little wasted effort you have and how happy you are and the, the way that you affect people around you in the process 
Right. Love it. Love it. I'm looking at the clock. I got, I got to run soon. So uh, gotcha. Well, I think, I think your 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 summation was beautiful. Nice. Well, a successful podcast ends on time. Apparently, so it's good. <laughs> well, thanks very much, man. It's great to see you as always, and I wish you success in your massive zucchini harvest. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com. Thank you.